I, I don't know how many people were here. I was probably four years ago. Tim Wood was a guest preacher, and uh, I was talking about asking someone how it went, and uh, that person said to me, you wouldn't believe it. We, we were out in the foyer and drinking coffee by 11 o'clock, and uh, I, th- I, I feel like that's, what, uh, that's what's going to happen this morning. So Philippians in chapter 1, verses 1 to 8, as I read this, I want you to pay attention for the love that Paul has for the church at Philippi and for the love that the church at Philippi has for Paul. Okay, Just look for clues, look for words that would indicate this mutual love and affection. And as you're looking for that, think about how that might apply to us. Not like, don't, I, like I'm not the role of Paul here. I don't mean like, like that way. I mean just us as a church family towards one another, the love and affection that we can experience, okay? I'll read it. I don't, I don't know what version that is, but I'll read it from the board as well. Ready? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Do you see that? Always in every prayer of mine for you, for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. All right, so what I did do, when I realized that sermon wasn't going to work, I just, I grabbed a piece of paper and I wrote some notes. So this is what I got. This is like, <laughs> preaching. whenever I preach, I feel like I'm walking out onto a tightrope, but at least like my manuscript is my net, right? If I get too, too far off, I can always fall into the net. Preaching without a net this morning. Okay. Here's, here's a point I want to make. Fellowship, the word fellowship, you read that word in your Bible, fellowship, the word behind it is the word koinonia, right? That's the Greek word, koinonia. It's a deep and a powerful word. It's a big word. When you, when you hear fellowship, when you hear koinonia, don't think friendship, okay? Friendship is good. Friendship is a blessing. But friendship is different than fellowship, okay? Friendship, friendship is a good gift that God has given, and it's what we refer to as a common grace, Anybody can experience friendship. You don't have to be a Christian to experience friendship. Anybody can experience it, and it's good. It's a good gift. But fellowship, koinonia, is limited to the church. Only the church is able to experience koinonia. The word koinonia only ever gets applied to Christians. Christians can experience fellowship. Non-Christians cannot experience fellowship. They can experience friendship. They can have friends. But fellowship is a spirit empowered relationship. You can only experience that relationship if you are indwelt by the Spirit 
and experience that relationship with another person who is indwelt by the Spirit. Fellowship is a supernatural thing. It's a God-empowered relationship that we experience only in the church. And it's one of the best gifts that God has given to the church. Right? Our God is a good God and He gives good gifts. And fellowship, koinonia, is one of the best gifts that He has given. And we only experience it in the context of the church. Let me, I, maybe it would be helpful if, um, if I explained to you a little bit about my church background. You know a little bit of it. You know I was a pastor in a, in a different sort of church than a CRC church before I came here. But I'm talking about when I was a boy, when I was a child. My parents raised me uh, in a house church. It was um, five families. That's it, five families. Uh, the way that house church formed was we were part of a larger church. And that church split. I, don't, I was a little boy. I was like three or four. I don't know the details. I don't know why. My parents protected us kids from whatever that issue was. I seriously don't even know what the issue was. But for whatever reason, that church split. My parents at that time were part of a small group within that church. And they, the members of that church were hurt by that split which tends to happen, right? When churches split, people get hurt, and they kind of got disillusioned about the church. And so they said, hey, we're not happy about, we don't, we, we don't really want to go and identify with either one of the branches of that split. We're just feeling bad all around, so we're just going to stay as our small group and be the church. And so that's what happened, and that's how I was raised. We met every Sunday morning, and every Wednesday night, and lots of times in between then, these five families, they had, uh, a number of the families had kids that were about my age, and that was my experience of church. We would gather and sit on couches, and someone had a guitar, and we would sing, and uh, my dad, um, who's a general contractor, and not a pastor, but my dad would lead uh, kind of a Bible study time, um, and that was church. Why I'm sharing that with you is because... Um, in a, in a church that size of five families where you're together Sunday morning, Wednesday evening, and a lot during the rest of the week, you, you, the, the family, the, the feeling of family is very, very real and powerful and deep, right? And I think you've probably heard me refer to Ebenezer as our faith family, as our church family. Well, the reason that's such an important metaphor for me is because that's how I was raised, is that the people that you're in church with that's your family. When it's five families, uh, you, you, you can't hide a disagreement. <laughs> if there's a relational problem in that size group, it's obvious. Right? You can't, after the service, you can't wander around and avoid the people that you don't want to talk to. Right? There's, a, there's only like 10 adults in the room. And so when there's relational problems, they're obvious and they have to be dealt with. Right? Your family. Um, in a church our size, uh, if you're having a relational conflict or a problem with someone, you can probably get away with not seeing them on a Sunday morning and not talking to them throughout the rest of the week. And you can kind of ignore that, right? According to the Bible, though, we're not supposed to do that. We're family. We're family united by the blood of Jesus Christ in fellowship with one another, experiencing koinonia. And we're supposed to be 
experiencing that depth of familial relationship with everyone else. And I realize this is a large room with a lot of people, and it's not possible to hang out with everyone every day all the time. But we're supposed to be experiencing that depth of fellowship, that family bond with everyone in the room. And if you don't feel that way about someone in the room, or if you feel like your fellowship has been broken or been, been, been hindered or there's division, we have a responsibility before God to make that right. And if that requires to bring in someone else and have a mediator, well, well then that's what we need to do. Because we're family, and this is the gift that God has given us. I think the sad thing about this gift of koinonia that God's given us, which is so precious, is that we've received it, but so often in the church we have it, but we don't use it. Right? It's this good gift that God's given it to us, but we're not taking advantage of it. When I thought about that this morning, the image that came to my mind was my grandma and grandpa, who have both passed away, but um, I was really close to them when I was a boy. And my grandma and grandpa, um, they didn't have a lot of money, they didn't have a lot of stuff, but they had um, these really fancy dishes. Uh, there was a story behind them, but I never, I never listened. I don't know what the story was. It wasn't interesting to me. I was a, I was a boy. I was interested in baseball and and, uh, and so, so it, somehow, generations back, these dishes were back in England. I don't know what, let, let's, let's call it the 1600s, should we? And then uh, they got packed up and a family moved here and the dishes got brought and they got passed down from mother to daughter and mother to daughter and then my grandma had them. But they never used them. They just sat there on the shelf and they looked at them and they pointed to them. Uh, but I, never once when I was a boy did we ever eat off those dishes. Never. One day as an adult, when I was living in Florida and my grandparents had moved to Florida as well, I went there for dinner and they served dinner on those dishes that I had seen my whole life growing up but that had never been used as dishes. And I couldn't believe it. And I was like, Grandma, these are the dishes that, that we were never allowed to touch or use or even really look at because you were so protective of them. And uh, her and Grandpa explained to me that they realized that what's the point of having really nice dishes if you never eat off them? The point of dishes is that you serve food on them and then you, they, you, you gather at the table and you experience fellowship and you eat off them. And they, they, they came to the decision that they would rather use them, even if they get chipped up along the way, because that's what they were made for, than to just keep them on the shelf and never use them. Anyways, that, 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 that happened to me. Uh, they explained that story to me, and I just... You know how it is. You hear something, you forget about it, but somewhere it's in there. Well, this morning that story popped into my head and I realized so often in the church we treat fellowship that way. It's this beautiful gift that God has given us. He says, here, I'm going to make you a family. I'm going to use the blood of my son and I'm going to unite you into one family, one body. He'll be your head and you be the body. And I'm going to give you this depth of fellowship, this gift of koinonia so that you can experience life together. And so often we take that gift and just stick it on the shelf, right? We look at it talk about it, but we, we don't eat off it. We don't experience it. And maybe it's because we don't want it to get chipped along the way, right? Let's just keep it pristine. 
well, you know what? I think it's time to pull it down, set the table, put the food on it, and use it. If it's going to get chipped along the way, okay. But that's what it's for, and it's a good gift. All right. You're not going to believe this, but I'm on to my final point. My final point is this. How? Right? That's a nice metaphor, or maybe it's not. I don't know, but it's the metaphor I got. But how are we going to do that? What's that going to mean to eat that meal off the plate? I have two suggestions, just two, and then I'm done. The first suggestion is this. We're going to experience the real gift of fellowship, the real gift of koinonia as God intended it for the church through prayer. That's the first one, through prayer. Well, I'll just, before I, I I won't tell you the second one yet. We'll stick with that, prayer. Here's the thing about prayer. You pray for the people you love, right? That's true. That's obvious, right? Look at your own prayer life. If you keep a journal, read your prayer journal. Who do you pray most for? The people you love. If you're a normal person, you pray for yourself the most because you're most aware of what's going on in your own life and because, let's be honest, you love yourself, right? And then the circle gets a little wider and you pray for your family, right? If you have kids, you probably pray for your kids more than anybody else, maybe for your extended family. We pray for the people we love by far more than anyone else. We pray for the people we love. That's obvious. That's true for everybody. But the inverse is also true, and it's a little less obvious. We love the people we pray for. Do you know that? It's absolutely true. You love the people that you pray for. Even if you didn't start loving them (laughs) when you started praying for them, I'm telling you, if you consistently pray for somebody, it will change your heart. That's a fact. We pray for the people we love, and we love the people that we pray for. And I'm just saying that if we made a commitment as a church to pray for one another regularly, consistently, systematically, like if you, I I don't use the Bridge app, sorry, uh, but some people do, and I know it's awesome, but if you want someone who uses the Bridge app, I just don't like my phone, but if if you like your phone and you use the Bridge app, use it as a... as a, as a prayer app. Pray for our congregation. If you don't use the app, then just use the hard copy directory. That's what I do. And pray consistently through our congregation for people by name. And you know what? If you come, if you come up to someone, a name of a person, and you, you don't know who it is, that's a family member. <laughs> You're supposed to know who's in your family. That'd be weird if you didn't. So then... Do you know what? There's phone numbers on that directory. Call them and say, hey, we're family members and we haven't met yet. Could you t- I was trying to pray for you and I don't even know what's, who you are. So could you, how can I pray for you? Do that. The more we pray for one another, the deeper we'll experience koinonia. We do that, I think you probably know this, we call it the prayer bowl. We do that every single time we gather for counsel. We have a prayer bowl. All it is is I just take the church uh, database and I just cut up all the names into little slips and stick them in the bowl. And then we pass the bowl right around the the council room and everybody draws a name at random. Uh, If you don't like the person you draw, then we trade. No, I'm kidding. We don't do that. (laughs) Of course we don't do that. We pray for everybody by name. You just, whoever you draw, you pray for. If you don't know who you got, you ask somebody who is this person, or how can I pray for this person? And then we pray. Do you know when we do that, 
God, God works through our prayers. God answers our prayers. God actually is doing things in our midst through our prayers. But also, he's growing our love and our affection as leaders in the church on council for the congregation. And, and you can do that as well. And I would strongly encourage you to adopt the practice of praying for all the members of our church family consistently and by name. All right, that's one thing we can do is pray for each other. Here's my last and final point. We need the Lord to teach us how to see. How to see each other when we look at each other. We need God's help so that when we look at each other, we actually see each other. I'm going to read a verse that's going to help us. It's, it's verse 6 of what I read. Philippians 1 and verse 6 says this. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I'm sure of this. I'm sure of this. I'm not wondering about this. I'm not speculating about this. I'm not just hoping for this and not, not knowing how it's going to turn out. I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. See, Paul somehow had this ability, by God's grace, to look at people and not see who they were at the moment, but to look at people and see who they're going to be. Isn't that amazing? What if, what, if, what if we learned how to see people like that? Well, if we looked at people and we saw not who they were at that moment, but we saw who God was making them and who they were going to be, right? Because we're all works in progress, but we're works in progress with a guarantee that the work is going to be completed one day. And if we could somehow see that, it would affect the way we interact with each other today, right? Instead of seeing, instead of when you look at me, instead of seeing the flaws and the failures, and look, it's not hard to see them. If you want to see those, they're there. You can focus on those. You can see those. You can point them out. But what if we learned how to see what I will be one day? I, when I thought about that this morning, I thought about that, that story. I don't know if it's true, and we, someone probably does know and can tell me, but there's that myth of Michelangelo talking about, you know, he's this genius sculptor, right, and how he made these amazing sculptures from these big blocks of marble, right? And he'd say, well, I just look at the, I look at the block of marble, and then I see the statue in there, and I just remove all the parts that aren't part of the statue, and what's left is the statue, right? He said something like this, or at least someone said he said something like that. I don't know. Well, that's, that's somehow, being an artistic genius that he is, he was able to look at a block of marble, right? Just a blob, a rock, and see the beautiful statue in there, right? See Mary in there, or see David in there. And then he would remove the bits that weren't that statue so that what was left was this beautiful, amazing masterpiece. And I think we need to learn how to see like that, to look at someone. Like, if you look at me now, I, I'm just that rock, that blob, nothing. But somehow if you could look and you could see, yeah, but there's someone at work. God is at work there, and God's making a masterpiece, right? If I could look at you, if I could just look out 
just for a moment and see, not what you are today, May 1st, 2022, but look out across, the, across this sanctuary and see everybody what you will be at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Just see it now, what you will be. That would deeply, deeply impact the way that I interacted with you today. We would treat each other differently if we learned how to see like that. Somehow Paul was able to do it. Paul was a man. Somehow Paul was able to do it and say, I'm sure, I'm sure he's going to bring it. He's begun a good work and he's going to bring it to completion. I see it. If we learn to do that, I think our interactions would be different and they would be beautiful and they will glorify God. That's my thought. And maybe it's just my thought, in which case we can all just quickly forget it and move on. But maybe, I don't know, but maybe that's what God wanted us to hear this morning. Let's pray. Dear God, I don't know. That felt like a weird sermon to me. I don't know. What I do know is that I have a lot of room to grow in the way that I'm able to reflect your glory and your love to those around me. And what I do know is that it's beautiful. We sang it this morning, that lovely song, how good and beautiful it is when we gather, when we dwell in peace and in love. Uh, how beautiful your body, your church can be. And I know that there's a lot of churches around the world right now that are hurting, that are in a hard place. Um, but I know that our problems are not problems for you, that, that, that our challenges don't overwhelm you, <laughs> and that you are for us. And that you desire to make us a beautiful bride. I know that that's true. And so my hope and my faith is not in me, for sure. And it's not in us, um, but it is in you. And so I just, here's my prayer, Lord. Please make us into the church that you want us to be. And please <coughs> enable us to reflect your beauty to one another and to the rest of the world. Amen.